Amen and amen. Take your Bibles, turn with me if you would to Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter number 13, Nehemiah chapter 13. I love that song and uh, we've got to get that and sing it in our church. What a tremendous, what a tremendous song and blessing. And as you're finding your place there in Nehemiah, if you're looking for it, find Psalms and hang a left. All right. So Nehemiah 13, Nehemiah 13, let me just express my appreciation for the invitation to preach today. Uh, here in snowy, I guess, snowy Southern California. Uh, I came from sunny Eastern North Carolina. Any Eastern North Carolinas out there, right? So it was 80 degrees uh, when I left, and so I'm loving it here in the cold weather. Uh, I was in uh, Denver where the first time I went through a plane wash. They de-iced the plane on the way out, and that's the first time I've ever seen that happen like that. There was a delay, and uh, Lord willing, uh, weather permitting, I'll be uh, flying back this afternoon. If not, I'm, I guess it's Prince of Egypt. I'm gonna hang around and watch that show. <laughs> It's one of my faves, all right? So we're going to get into it and um, maybe follow it up in Frozen or something and we'll have a, we'll have a time. But uh, it's a privilege to preach here, uh, to teach as well as adjunct faculty. I wonder, is there anybody who's been online and, and taught or, or taken the class? Uh, it's a popular class, as you can see. And uh, so I had to teach Acts and as well Ephesians and do a, a, a video on biblical counseling and I'm just, I'm just thankful to be a part of that. I'm not here today to show off a sermon. I'm here to deliver a message from God's Word. And I'm just excited with the Lord's laid on my heart. And I know Brother Rasmussen, as he heard this, he said, you need to share it there in College Chapel. And so I'm going to be sharing this. Also, let me throw this in there. If you're looking for a job, all right? Uh, if you're an education major especially, uh, we'd love to have you and hire you. Uh, we have over 700 students this year in our school, 150 on a wait list. So we are down teachers and we need teachers. And uh, West Coast grads make great church members, uh, Jeremiah says, and Andy are with us, and they are awesome. I'll tell you what, if I could clone them, I would. They are amazing. Nehemiah chapter 13, by way of introduction, Nehemiah is one of two books that chronicle the restoration of the nation of Israel after their prophesied 70-year Babylonian captivity. It was Ezra that came first and encouraged them with the prophets Haggai and Zechariah uh, to rebuild the temple. Then Nehemiah notices the walls and encourages them with the walls. Hey, there's a message there. It's not the message this morning, but there's a message there. Build the temple first. God is more interested. He's primarily interested in spiritual worship uh, over uh, standards. But, but listen, what happens on the inside will eventually follow on the outside. There's the temple, then there's the walls. There's a the message. Also, there's many messages on lessons on leadership and how 52 days they rebuilt the wall because the Bible says the people had a mind to work. Even with satanic opposition from Samballat and Tobiah, they had a mind to work. And there's a lesson there that when we're about the work of God, we must expect opposition. But if we have a mind to work, it's amazing what God can do in a short amount of time if we focus on the things of the Lord and doing what God has called us to do. There's lessons on the joy of the Lord uh, in Nehemiah chapter 8. The joy of the Lord is our strength. But what drew my attention, I've never really seen this before as a lesson from Nehemiah, was in Nehemiah 13. Perhaps one of the greatest pictures of personal revival, national revival, and separation from sin. It's found in Nehemiah chapter 13. There's so much going on in the text, but... We're taken back to a time historically as Nehemiah is accounting this and recounting this rather. And he goes back to the day they dedicated the temple 
perhaps back in Ezra's time, and then also when they finished the walls in Nehemiah's time. And he says in verse number one, on that day, he's referring to days of revival, the day of revival. They read in the book of Moses, verse one, in the audience of the people, and therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever. So this is what happened. And we recall in Ezra, there was that first national revival. Then again, in Nehemiah chapter eight, as the people of God stood by the water gate, which was, by the way, the only gate not in need of repair. That's where they read the word of God. Uh, God's word endures forever. And as they stood there and they read from morning until midday, over six hours as they read in the book of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We would have fallen out by Genesis 1 verse 5. But as they got down to Deuteronomy 23 and verse 3, right at the end, they, they read in the book of Moses that the Ammonite and Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever, under the 10th generation. We understand that was God's standard. That was God's principle against syncretism. Now, this wasn't a racial thing. It was a religious thing. You recall, and the text goes on to tell us what happened, how in verse number two, because they met the children of Israel, not with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them, that he should curse them, howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. You remember Balaam and his talking donkey, and how this prophet was hired uh, to prophesy and curse Israel, but the best he could come up with was a blessing, and then he, he couldn't even get that out, and, and then he continues with an idea. He had a, a compromise. If you can't beat them, he says, join them. So he sends down the Moabites into the camp to seduce the Israelites, and they fall into sin. This was a sin that was often repeated. This was a sin that they struggled with, with unbelief, the sin of syncretism. It was the devil's design for, for Israel to bring them down. And so the standard was made of separation. A standard was made against mixing with the world. Something Israel, and we struggle with as well. Going back to the days when they called the golden calf Jehovah. You know, sin has a way of repeating itself, which is why we need personal revival. I think what Billy Sunday was asked by a woman, why is it you have revivals all the time? And he said, well, the same reason why we take baths every day, we get dirty. Sin as a way of repeating itself. Ezra dealt with this sin. The people repented of it before. Nehemiah, when they read the book of the law again, they came across it the second time and they repented again. And now in Nehemiah 13, something has happened that is absolutely astounding. Nehemiah has returned to the palace of Shushan for a year. When the cat's away, the mice shall play, as the saying goes. His brother is in charge as governor, and Eliashib is the high priest. What happens? Notice verse number four. And before this, perhaps in time, pointing back to Nehemiah chapter six, when there was an alliance made, or perhaps in the sight of all of this, Eliashib, the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied, listen, unto Tobiah. Now, if you know anything about Nehemiah, who was Tobiah? Tobiah was the Ammonite servant of Samballat. Tobiah was the one that when he saw the walls, he mocked it and said even a fox could tear this down. Tobiah was the one who sent the letters to the leaders and the rulers to stop the project. 
Tobiah was an Ammonite. Remember Deuteronomy 23, verse 3. No Ammonite or Moabite can enter the congregation of God forever. And Elias' sheep, whose name meant God will restore, a man of faith and belief, much was placed in him as a child by his parents. This man made a compromise and connection with the world. And he was allied to Tobiah. Not only was he allied to Tobiah, notice that he was given access to the temple. Not only was he allied, not only was he given access, this blows my mind, he was given an apartment, an in-law suite in the temple. I wasn't really familiar with the story, but it blows my mind that anybody could even think about doing such a thing, that this happened in the history of Israel a man who had the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God created access. Look at verse number five. And he prepared for him. Who? Tobiah. A great chamber. Not just a chamber, but a great chamber. An in-law master suite in the courts of the, the temple. If you want to see what that area looked like, 1 Kings chapter 6, verses 5 through 10, detail this area. It was the lean-to that surrounded the temple on three sides. He was living in the corner suite in the temple, rooms that were set aside for the grain offerings, the tithes used for the temple workers. As an Ammonite, he wasn't even allowed to enter the congregation of Israel. He certainly wasn't allowed to enter the temple, much less have a great guest suite and fall asleep watching out his window as the flames flickered on the brazing altar. What's the standard? No Moabite, no Ammonite should enter into the congregation of God forever. Every one of us would agree that this was wrong. That Eliashib had no right to turn the temple of God into a cheap motel. Eliashib didn't own the temple. He just simply was given oversight over it oversight of the chamber of the house of our God. The Nathan, the oversight, was nothing more than simply stewardship of what he was given. We would all agree that what Eliashib did was completely unthinkable and wrong. But as I came across this text, the Spirit of God spoke to my heart. What have I allowed access in my life that has no business in the temple of God? I want to ask you this morning, who or what is your Tobiah? And I want to challenge you today with this message simply, throw Tobiah out. Throw Tobiah out. We believe that everyone who is saved as a priest, a priesthood of believers, we've been given oversight of the chamber of the house of our God. Our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. What is in his chamber? Who is your Tobiah? Throw Tobiah out. Out. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Well, it's just who I am. No, it's not who you are. It's what the devil wants you to be. The promise of predestination for every believer is that you're not becoming more like you. It's not you do you. It's the Holy Spirit of God making every one of us more like Jesus Christ. Well, it's my body. It's my choice. No, it's God's. If you're saved, it's not about being sold out. It's about being yielded to what already belongs to the Lord. 
Our body has been bought with the price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Tobiah has no business in God's temple. What's your Tobiah? I remember one of the first and major Tobias in my life, even through Bible college, was the music that I listened to. I didn't think it was a big deal. Just one back area of my life, and my last name is Shakur. So the first time I was called Tupac, I was like, what's that? I looked him up, and of course, he's a rapper here from, from the West Coast, or was, and so I bought all of his CDs, and I became Tupac, all right? Pitching me preaching, and there was Wilson. And so, I mean, I was, I was all about the mindset it changed the way I talked. It changed the way I walked. I was rapping about Compton. I didn't even know Compton was. <laughs> learning words. I was homeschooled. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> I'm learning words and vocabulary I never knew existed. And I, I still have these songs memorized. Tobiah, I thought it was funny. I'd go around and I'd be like, you know, I'm not going to give it to you. California. But anyways, we're, we're done. I'm just going <laughs> to... When I got right, I got rid. And I went right back to it. And I got rid again. What's your Tobiah? I, I can share Tobias in my life of relationships with those that I dated, even in Bible college, where as long as we didn't go all the way, we thought it was okay. By the way, if you say it's not that big of a deal, it won't be that big of a deal. The Lord extends adultery to even a look of lust. Make a covenant with your eyes. How then can I think upon a maid? A look upon a maid. Another major Tobiah was in my spirit. We're not talking just sins of the flesh, but your body and your spirits. It's my temper. I'm half Irish. I'm half Lebanese. There's terrorism on both sides of the continent there. I'm warm. I'm just warm-blooded. You know, I'm just hot-blooded. I... I'd get mad at the drop of the hat and drop the hat too. I had a roommate that thought that Febreze was an adequate substitute for deodorant. <laughs> and laundry detergent. And one day I just went off on him, preached at him. Three-point sermon in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Casting out demons, everything it was. My friend, my other friend that was like, you're a pastoral major, you got to get this right. And I'm like, it's just... It's my Irish temper. He was like, just think about that word temper, temperance. When you lose your temper, you're losing the fruit of the spirit. I'm like, stop. <laughs> I had to surrender my, my spirit. My message is simple today. I'm not here to beat you down or condemn you. I just want to challenge you. Throw Tobiah out. Can we jump into the story? Look at verse number seven. I like this, it's in first person. Nehemiah comes back and he says, I came to Jerusalem and I understood of the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of our God. Here's the recipe for revival. First of all, Nehemiah recognized sin. He understood the evil. He doesn't say it's a little small area. He doesn't say it's a little mistake. He didn't say, all right, Sheb, you've done a great job. I've been gone for a year. Uh, we got to address this little, you know, small area in the back of the temple. And, you know, maybe it's not the best idea. I see why you did it. It's a good idea. You know, keep your, keep your enemies close and alliances. It's not that big of a deal. No, Eli Nehemiah says it is evil. It is evil. 
Hey, listen, there was no idolatry in the temple. God was still being worshipped, but they were slipping back into their sin of syncretism, mixing the world with the things of God. You have to understand what sin is and call it for what it is. Evil. I think of Joseph. He was sold into slavery, propositioned by Potiphar's wife. He has an opportunity for revenge, an opportunity for pleasure. Instead, he said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Reminds me of the lady who was praying with John R. Rice about her little sin. She said, I have a little struggle with exaggeration. I have a struggle with the sin. I need you to pray for me. I just make up stories and exaggerate. And he said, all right, let's pray. And in his inimitable way, he prayed with her and said, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would convict her of her sin of lying. It's a wicked sin and no liar shall enter the kingdom of God. She said, I didn't say I had all that. And he said, unless you call sin for what God calls it, you never have the victory. I remember my oldest was playing in New England. We went to a farm. I'm from New Hampshire, not really North Carolina. He was playing in a farm, and I saw him out in the field, and he was having a great old time, and he was playing with what I thought was Play-Doh. It wasn't Play-Doh. I remember looking at him going, is he playing with what I think he's playing with? And I said, hey, sweetheart, you might want to go check up on uh, our son. And so I went to go get him. When I, she's like, no, you go. And so I went to go get him. And when I picked him up, he looked at me like, what are you talking about? This is great. I can make little shapes with it. And I had to go clean him up, and he was screaming, he was kicking. See, what he, was, what he thought was fun was filthy. Yeah. And I ask you this morning, what are you playing around with that's not fun? It may be pleasure for a season, but the end thereof, the ways of death, it's filthy. Throw Tobiah out. Throw it out. He recognized sin. Number two, he repented over it. Now, he didn't have a mind change about it. He had a recognition of sin, but it said, it grieved me sore. Now, he's speaking about the anger that he had towards this sin, but if you really see sin the way God sees it, you'll agree with him about it, and he was angered by sin. He had a righteous indignation. His mind was set against evil. He grieved over it. Hey, friend, do you grieve over sin? The Holy Spirit does. You go to Ephesians chapter 4, the list of sins are, are, are listed all the way through of lying and anger and be angry and sin not. It says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. I believe that's the Tobiah that can come into your spirit of anger, fear and anger, hot spots for the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. It says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. The Spirit of God grieves within us. We have to be angered by sin. We have to be, but first, by the way, at our own sin. Be angered by our own sin and how it grieves a holy God. First Corinthians was written in correction to a man living in immorality and fornication. He was cast out of the church, but he repented. He was restored, praise God. But here's how he got the victory. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repenteth, repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, yea, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what 
revenge and all these things you've approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. If you want victory over sin, every day you're going to wake up and you've got to hate sin. You've got to love God. You've got to love God and you've got to hate sin and you have to not make excuses for it. You can't say it's just a little small part in the back of my life. No, it's evil. It's wrong. It grieves the Holy Spirit of God which is in you. It gives place to the devil and the devil should have no place and no space in your body and your spirit which are God's. He removes sin. Look at the text. Therefore, I cast forth all the household stuff. I looked up that that word stuff in the Hebrew. Guess what stuff means? Stuff. Nehemiah takes Tobias stuff and throws Tobias stuff out of the temple. I mean, I've got a weird imagination. I can just imagine him just like ripping up the bed sheets, smashing the flat screen televisions, pulling out the mini fridge and the furniture, smashing the mirrors, dragging it all out. Now, fast forward a couple weeks. Tobiah doesn't know it's not there. Tobiah's coming in to check into the courtyard by Eliashib. Maybe he's walking in by the walls and he goes to the gates and kind of growls at him, but he's got a little space on the inside. And so as he comes in, he kind of looks over maybe to his right and this is all sanctified imagination. He sees a group of boys playing and he's like, that looks like my king size bed over there. Is that my toothbrush they're digging in the ground with? That's my sheets flying in the wind. Hey, listen, Nehemiah made every effort to let Tobiah know that he wasn't welcome in the house of God. How much of Tobiah's stuff is still in God's temple? Throw Tobiah out of your body and your spirit, which are God's. The worldliness, those reels and that TikTok algorithm, you know, is straight up sin. Delete it. Confess it. Forsake it. That moral activity, that music, that mindset, the syncretism of your life. Worship God on a Sunday. Sing on stage in chapel or minister in a service. Go soul winning and then worship sin in self in the back of the temple during the week. Throw Tobiah out. Like what someone said, stop taking pleasure in the things that Jesus died for. Proverbs 28, 13, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh him shall have mercy. Confessing means to be open about it. Forsaking means to cut all ties. To confess, be open about it, then cut all ties, throw Tobiah out. He doesn't belong. The temple is reserved for the Holy Ghost. Each and every chamber, you just have oversight over his temple. It's not your temple, it's his temple. It belongs to him. And friend, today, before you say it's just Old Testament moralism or Old Testament legalism, that's nothing to do with it. James chapter 4, verse 4 says, ye adulterers. And adulteresses, no, you're not. That friendship with the world is enmity with God. First Corinthians chapter 6 says, Come out from among them and be a separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will love the one and hate the other, or he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Hey, listen, I know what it's like to be raised in a Christian home. I know what it's like to be given so much and 
so much put into me and all the verses and all the memory stuff and everything put in in education and Christian college and Bible college. I know what it's like to have one little side spot in the back of God's temple and think that it's okay. But it's not. Throw Tobiah out. And the sooner you throw him out, the sooner you get back to doing what you were designed to do. This is the best part of the story. Because Christianity, friends, is not the absence of the negative, it's the presence of the positive. Look at the text, verse number nine. Then I commanded, and they cleansed the chambers, and thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God with the meat offerings and the frankincense. I'm thankful today that his blood cleanses us from all sin. Purges our conscience from dead works. It's not our work to cleanse, just bring it to your heavenly Nehemiah. It's his work on the cross of Calvary. When he suffered on the cross, he suffered the wrath of God in our place for our sin. He became sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What you confess, he cleanses and he gives you the victory. We are cleansed from sin positionally in each and every day as we confess and we forsake. We get the victory over sin that he's provided through his spirit and through his shed blood. Just go to him and say, cleanse me. You're not cleansing. He's cleansing. The walls torn down or rebuilt. The vessels returned. Sacrifices again present. God is in the business of restoration and revival. But you have to deal with the Tobiah. Throw them out and then turn back to do what you were designed to do. The temple was a place of praise. It was a place of worship there in the temple. The temple was a place of prayer. Remember when Jesus threw out the money changers, he said, you've made my house a den of thieves. My house should be called a house of prayer, my father's house. The temple was a place of personal sacrifice, a place set aside for surrender and sacrifice. Hey, listen, friend, God has created you. God has designed you to know him and make him known. God has designed you to praise and worship him and magnify him. God has designed you to pray and personally surrender. Hey, listen, how long has it been since you've truly praised the Lord in spirit and in truth? How long has it been since you've prayed and prayed through? How long has it been since you've sacrificed and surrendered? Or maybe it's just a Tobiah in your temple that needs to go. May I ask it like this? Has there ever been a time that you've been closer to the Lord than you are right now? If so, you're backslidden and you need revival. What's your Tobiah? Throw them out. Put off, but then put on. Turn back to do what God has designed you to do. I know there's a lot of talk of revival today. The revival I'm only interested in is the revival right here in my heart that needs to happen. We need revival. I think about 1904, a young man the name of Evan Roberts woke up about one o'clock every morning with a burning desire to preach God's word. He was 26 years old. He was there in the land of Wales where he got up that one Sunday morning. He preached a simple four-point message. He said, if you want to have revival in your life, you've got to confess all known sin. Number two, you need to deal with the things that are even questionable in your life and doubtful. He says, number three, you need to confess Christ publicly and then respond to the Holy Spirit instantly. One little girl was saved, the name of Flory Evans. Perhaps you've heard the story where she was saved. And next night he came back and he preached those same four points when he came to the part where he said, confess all known sin, deal with anything doubtful in your life, confess Christ publicly, be willing to obey the Holy Spirit instantly. That little girl stood up where she was and she said, I love the Lord Jesus with all of my heart. 
Revival broke out in that church. 60 were saved that night. Revival spread throughout the year with five singers and one preacher. They traveled the country. The bars were closed down. Souls were saved. Over 100,000 people were saved in a single year. You tell me what revival is. It's God's people on fire to win people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's revival. God did a work. A London reporter came to a little town and she said, hey, listen, where's that Welch revival? An old man went like this, right here, right here. I didn't know this, but Evan Roberts himself slipped away from the Lord. But it was later in life, it was actually a second Welch revival. And guess what message he stood up to preach those coal miners? Confess Christ publicly. Hey, confess all known sin. Deal with anything doubtful. Follow the Holy Spirit's prompting. Be willing to confess him. I ask you this morning, is there anybody here that is willing to deal with all known sin? What is your Tobiah? I didn't put that Tobiah in your mind. You know what that is. It's your choice. It's your choice to leave him hanging around the temple or confess it, forsake it, and throw him out. What about the areas that are questionable? Deal with that too. Are you willing to confess Christ publicly? Do what God has called you to do, and that's win souls. And follow the Holy Spirit instantly. If so, you'll have revival. I challenge you today to throw Tobiah out. First John says, if we say we have no sin, if we say we have no Tobiah, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Hey, we love him because he first loved us. Throw Tobiah out.